Chapter seven of Esther Waters This is a library box recording. All library box recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibraryVox.org. Recording by Peter Abraham. Esther Waters by George Moore. Chapter seven. The Barfield calculation was that they had a stone in hand. Bayleaf, Mr Leopold argued, would be back to win a million of money if he were handicapped in the race at seven stone and Silver Braid, who had been tried again with Bayleaf, and with the same result as before, had been let off with only six stone. More rain had fallen. The hay crop had been irrevertibly ruined. The prospects of the wheat harvest were jeopardized. But what did a few bushels of wheat matter? Another pound of muscle in those superb hindquarters was worth all the corn that could be grown between here and Henfield. Let the rain come down. Let every year of wheat be destroyed so long as those delicate forelegs remained sound. These were the ethics that obtained at Woodview, and within the last few days showed signs of adoption by the little town and not a few of the farmers, grown tired of seeing their crops rotting on the hillsides. The fever of the gamble was in eruption, breaking out in unexpected places. The station master, the porters, the flymen, all had their bit on, and notwithstanding the enormous favouritism of two other horses in the race, Prisoner and Stoke Newington. Silverbraid had advanced considerably in the betting. Reports of trials won had reached Brighton, and not more than five and twenty to one could now be obtained. The discovery that the demon had gone up several pounds in weight had introduced the necessary alloy into the mintage of their happiness. The most real consternation prevailed, and the strictest investigation was made as to when and how he had obtained the quantities of food required to produce such a mass of adipose tissue. Then the gaffer had the boy upstairs and administered to him a huge dose of salts, seeing him swallow every drop. And when the effects of the medicine had worn off, he was sent for a walk to Portslade in two large overcoats and was accompanied by William, whose long legs led the way so effectively. On his return, a couple of nice feather beds were ready and Mr. Leopold and Mr. Swindles themselves laid him between them, and when they noticed that he was beginning to cease to perspire, Mr. Leopold made him a nice cup of hot tea. That's the way the gaffer used to get the flesh off in the old days, when he rode the winner at Liverpool. It's the demon's own fault, said Mr. Swindles. If he hadn't been so greedy, he wouldn't have had to sweat, and we would have been spared a great deal of bother and anxiety. Greedy murmured the little boy, in whom the warm tea had induced a new perspiration. I haven't had what you might call a dinner for the last three months. I think I'll chuck the whole thing. Not until this race is over, said Mr. Swindles. Supposing I was to pass the warming pan down these here sheets. What do you say, Mr. Leopold? They are beginning to feel a bit cold. Cold? I hope you'll never go to a hotter place. For God's sake, Mr. Leopold. Don't let him come near me with the warming pan, or else he'll melt the little flesh that's left off me. You had better not make such a fuss, said Mr. Leopold. If you don't do what you're told, you'll have to take salts again and go for another walk with William. If we don't warm up them sheets, he'll dry up, said Mr. Swindles. No, I won't. I'm teeming. Be a good boy, and you shall have a nice cut of mutton when you get up, said Mr. Leopold. How much? two slices? Well, you see, we can't promise. 
It all depends on how much has come off. And having once got it off, we don't want to put it on again. I never did hear such rot, said Swindles. In my time a boy's feelings weren't considered. One did what one considered good for them. Mr. Leopold strove to engage the demon's attention with compliments regarding his horsemanship in the city and sub, while Mr. Swindles raised the bedclothes. Oh, Mr. Swindles, you are burning me. For heaven's sake, don't let him start out from under the bed like that. Can't you hold him? Burning you. I never even touched you with it. It was the sheet that you felt. Then the sheet is as hot as the bloody fire. Will you leave off? What? A demon like you afraid of a little touch of heat? Wouldn't have believed it unless I had heard it with my own ears, said Mr. Leopold. Come now. Do you want to ride the crack at Goodwood or do you not? If you do, remain quiet and let us finish taking off the last couple of pounds. It is the last couple of pounds that takes it out of one. The first lot comes off just like butter, said the boy, rolling out of the way of the pan. I know what it will be. I shall be so weak that I shall just ride a stinking bad race. Mr. Leopold and Mr. Swindles exchanged glances. It was clear they thought that there was something in the last words of the fainting demon, and the pan was withdrawn. But when the boy got into the scale again, it was found that he was not yet nearly the right weight, and the gaffer ordered another effort to be made. The demon pleaded that his feet were sore, but he was sent off to Portslade in charge of the redoubtable William. And as the last pounds came off the demon's little carcass, Mr. Leopold's face resumed a more tranquil expression. It began to be whispered that instead of hedging any part of his money, he would stand it all out. And one day a market gardener brought up word that he had seen Mr. Leopold going into Brighton. Old Watkins isn't good enough for him. That's about it. If Silverbraid wins, Woodview will see very little more of Mr. Leopold. He'll be for buying one of them big houses on the sea road and keeping his own track. End of chapter 7